taking a stand, and we carry those with us every day. I mean, it's just part of our battle, the daily battle, physical health challenges. But in the presence of the Lord, within a moment, God can change the whole thing. He can give you an entirely different perspective. He can heal your body. He can do a miracle. I will never take for granted, at least I'm praying, Lord, never never let me take for granted, gathering together with the body of believers, praying and worshiping because he says he's present. Amen? Amen. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Somebody say, the deeds of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. One more time, the deeds of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. Thank you. We have been in this passage for a while by God's grace as we're going verse by verse through the book of Galatians here in second service. And today, if the Lord is willing, we will be putting a period at the end of this section and moving on next week to chapter 6. But I just feel one more message is in my belly right now, and i got to get it out in Jesus' name. Y'all ready for this? The deeds of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. There is so much there. I'm going to give it my best today by God's grace. And I hope that you and I see in our personal lives a victory, a manifestation, a daily habit and repetition of the fruit of the Spirit and a crucifixion of the deeds of the flesh. I know some of you, you just wish the moment you got born again spiritually that Jesus just would have killed you and took you to heaven because you're afraid you're going to backslide. And I know youth pastors used to talk like that. They said sometimes at the altar calls we wish that there was execution squads. Get you to go to heaven now before you backslide and go to hell, teenagers. But listen to me. It's still your choice as a Christian who you will serve. Who's going to be your master? Are you going to be led by the Spirit and bringing forth the fruit? Just listen to that. The fruit of the Spirit naturally growing out of the soil, out of that new life. Or are you going to work at the deeds of the flesh? The Bible says that even as Christians, we have the flesh. I mean, aren't you in flesh right now? Any disembodied spirits here with us today? Is there one sitting next to you, good sir, a disembodied spirit? No. How many know there's no ghosts here today? If there's any angels, it's because they've never had bodies. Because all those who have had bodies and have died, they're either in in heaven or hell. Is everybody tracking with me? So you've got flesh, don't you? Sometimes people try to spiritualize what the flesh is and say it's a part of your soul. It is not a part of your soul. The Bible could not be more clearer in telling you what the flesh is. The flesh, guess what it is? It's your flesh. It is that made out of flesh. Paul talks about it clearly in Romans chapter 7 and 8 that the flesh was crucified, our flesh, when Christ in his flesh was crucified. Did Jesus have real flesh? Yes or no? Yes, he did. And did his real flesh get crucified? It did. So the Bible says that we now have power over this flesh because of what Jesus did. That's what it means to be born again. You are not born again of the flesh. You are born of your spirit. Now by the power of the Holy Spirit, you make this flesh your slave. The Holy Spirit is the master of your life. Is he not? The Holy Spirit, master of your life? All right. So then you decide what your flesh is going to do. Now let's look at verse 13 of chapter 5 of Galatians. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Freedom. 
freedom. Hallelujah. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather serve one another humbly in love. It couldn't be more clear. He's speaking to Christians, brothers and sisters. You are called to be free. So we are now free from the flesh. The sinner is right when they say the flesh made me do it. They gave power to that flesh, and that flesh had control. They cannot say the devil made me do it unless at one point they become demon-possessed, but that would have been a choice to have walked that path. But for all sinners, they are right when they say the flesh made me do it because they are a product of their flesh. But now we are free from our flesh. You as a Christian cannot say my flesh flesh made me curse. My flesh made me lust. My flesh made me fight and get into an argument. You cannot say that because you have been set free from the power of your flesh. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You have overcome the devil. And then the Bible says that the flesh has been crucified with Christ and the life that you now live, you live in Jesus. So no devil in hell can stop you. Your flesh can't stop you. But it's your choice as a Christian. Believe it or not, I know this may surprise some people, but did you know that in 1 Corinthians, the Bible actually describes an anomaly, a contradiction, and guess what it describes there? A carnal Christian, a fleshly Christian. There are Christians who live out of their flesh instead of out of their spirit, and they're a contradiction to the things of God. Even though you have been given power and authority over your flesh, over the devil, you may be tempted to live in your flesh. And God may be being gracious with you. You're still going to heaven if you were to die. But you're living a miserable, stinky life. Because the flesh stinks, does it not? You leave it out. How many have ever made some chicken? And those little, you know, my wife, she makes these chicken breasts, and she leaves a little bit of it out, and it goes into the garbage, and she didn't tie it up. How many know that flesh starts to stink? Your flesh stinks right now. It's dead away from Christ. And if you let that flesh begin to take you away as a Christian from Christ, you will backslide. It's a real thing. There's a real warning here in Galatians chapter 5. So if you're not a Christian, you're living by your flesh right now. That's obvious. If you are a Christian, you're in a battle, and some of you may be losing that battle. But thanks be to God, you came to church today. Y'all ready to become more than conquerors? Amen. You ready to live on the shouting side of Calvary, waiting for the rapture, too, you know, blessed to be stressed? Are you ready now to conquer sin in Jesus' name, be led out of every temptation and victory? Instead of being drugged through every temptation by your flesh because you can't do anything about it. No, the Bible says that you're to pray, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. The, the author here, Paul, is saying, you've been set free. You're called to be free. But now don't use your freedom as an excuse to live in the flesh, but rather serve one another humbly in love. And as we see at the end, we don't have to turn there now. At the end of this passage, it talks about loving each other. So the Spirit is going to guide us into a, a family relationship within the church. And in this culture, we're going to be known as people who love even our enemies. Now look at verse 14. For the entire law is summed up in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, can you commit adultery if you love your neighbor as yourself? You couldn't do that to somebody else's a spouse, could you? Because you love your neighbor as yourself. Could you be bitter and hateful towards somebody if you loved your neighbor as yourself? 
No, because your love for your neighbor wouldn't allow you to hate them. Could you steal from people if you loved your neighbor as yourself? No, do you see why this is saying it? Everything in the law as it relates to how we act with one another is summed up in just love your neighbor as yourself. You would never want that done to you, so don't do it to others. Now, verse 15, if you bite and devour each other, even in the church, fights can happen. Watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Bitterness and unforgiveness, I think, has led more Christians to the, from the path of heaven to the path of hell than anything else. John Bevere wrote a book about it called The Bait of Satan. I'm telling you, it's some real bait. Has anybody ever been baited by the devil to be bitter before? It's a real temptation. I remember being in Bible college, bitter towards the professors, bitter towards my, stu- my fellow students. Bitterness is deceiving because you think you have the right to be bitter because they've actually done something wrong. You got the receipt. You've got the record. Hey, you did this wrong to me. And you might even have a good reason to be angry about the situation. But the Bible says, in your anger, sin not. So you can be angry about a situation and not be bitter. You can be better in Jesus' name. Amen. But notice how Paul is setting us up. And if you've been here before, you know right where we're going. But he's setting us up. Hey, if you're a Christian, you're called to be free. But don't use your freedom like a get-out-of-jail-free card and just sin all you want. And then in the church, stop messing with each other. Treat each other the way you want to be treated, or you'll be destroyed by each other. Verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Can I do the desires of the flesh voice one time today? The evil desires of your flesh. That's what your flesh sounds like. Wicked and evil. Comes to deceive and to to make you feel like you want it, like you're Gollum (coughs) in the Lord of the Rings. My precious, my my cheesecake. That's what that flesh will be saying at 10 o'clock. I'm telling on myself, my wife just made the best cheesecake last night. That cheesecake, you want it, you want it. You know, all of these things, your flesh, it has a sound, and it sounds like you. Why? Because your flesh is your five senses, starting with your brain. So often we underestimate the power of your brain. In my doctoral studies, and I make the book available for free here today, in him, everyone can pick it up, I had to study what the flesh actually was if I was going to make my point to stand that the flesh is really the flesh. In other words, I had to study what is your brain capable of? What is the emotions of that brain, the chemical reactions, what is it capable of? And boy, oh boy, it is capable of a whole lot. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those shows that come on. I think I saw it once on National Geographic or one of those places. It was called Brain Games. I don't know if anybody saw that, but they would play tricks with your brain. You would literally think you are looking at something, but you're not. It was just an image that flashed, and then it went away, and you thought you were still seeing it. Other things that they made you think, you thought you were seeing colors, but the colors went away. And once again, if you went on a lie detector test, you would say, I'm seeing the colors. So often we are deceived by our own brain, and we don't even know it. You see, your brain is powerful. Your brain has the ability to store memories and to have, that's why we can have Alzheimer even as Christians. How many know your soul remembers, but your brain can't access it? 
Come on, can I talk to anybody that believes your soul is not your brain? See, we, we are people who believe in a dichotomy. We can go further and say a trichotomy, body, soul, and spirit. But we believe in at least dualism. There's a spiritual nature. There is a physical nature. How many know you can be a Christian and lose your mind? You can be a Christian and have your brain go, and then you can't access it. The way we look at this is imagine you could be the, like, like Vinny right here, you could be the best pianist right here. But if, but if someone came over here and broke every one of these keys, it doesn't matter how good he is. He couldn't make it sound beautiful anymore. You could have been the most well-developed and intelligent person that there is. But then if the physical brain starts breaking down, your soul can't access it. So I began to study about the brain and what it was capable of. And one of the easiest places to start is what we know about animals. Because our brain is made out of the same stuff that mammals' brains are made out of. And trust me, I don't believe we came from the goo to the zoo to you, but I believe that God used the same intelligent design for us as he did for them so we can learn. Can I hear an amen? So in other words, he didn't make us out of alien substances and make them out of something of the earth. We are all made out of this dust of this earth. So your brain matter looks like their brain matter. Your heart looks like their heart, and some people are getting transplants from different animals. That's a whole nother discussion. But hey, if, if that cow liver helps me live, then bring that liver and hook me up to it, okay? But now listen, it's made out of the same stuff. And what they begin to find out with animals is that animals, especially the more complex their brain is, the more complex thoughts, motions, and feelings they can experience. Animals like dogs and cats can experience jealousy. They can experience anger. They can experience loneliness. They can even at some point dream. How many of you have had a dream you wish you didn't have before? Called it a nightmare. See, those are things your brain is doing and your soul doesn't really have a choice. It's being drug along for the ride. And then I went up from there and I began to study the disorders of the brain. Anxiety, depression bipolar, schizophrenia, and I began to understand that the brain is all to blame in those situations. And so they began to study and to do brain scans. Now we have the most advanced brain scans. Dr. Amen, A-M-E-N, like amen, has done the most. Now well over 80,000 brain scans. And they began to discover that so often the brain is sick. And the brain is in disorder that causes all the emotional feelings. So we ought to be careful in the church when we're talking about mental health saying everything's the devil. Because most of you are overweight and we don't call that the devil. That was, you know, something that you had a decision in. But they don't have a decision on. Are you listening to me? Some of you wear glasses and you didn't have a decision on that. We don't say you have the demon of nearsightedness or farsightedness. You have the demon of stigmatism, right? Are you listening to me? And so we, we, we get so spiritual, we become speak, spooky and superstitious, not understanding that there are actual brain dysfunctions, brains that don't function the way they're supposed to. And that's why, as I began to study this, I began to understand what the flesh is. It is first and foremost a brain that is in the disconnection to God. And so a brain that is disconnected to God is a brain controlled by its own instincts and its own desires. And so now as I have grown up and I've studied these things and I've looked at my own life, I can see where my brain was wrong. And it was pointing me in a direction that tried to make me feel good and comfortable, but it was actually wrong and deceiving me the whole time. For example, I can look back now at the time that I was dating and I felt 
physical attraction to certain people. And they were even Christian. And because the brain was lighting off and I was getting the endorphins and the hormones and all of those things were shooting off from the brain, I thought, wife. And God's like, no, that's not your wife. (laughs) Has anybody ever been there? Deceived by your hormones. Deceived by what you thought was attractive because your brain was scanning that face, that body, and you were being deceived by your brain to make you think that's what you wanted because you had a picture of beauty. Or someone was speaking something to you that you needed, and so those words comforted you, and so you believed that was what was best for you. But it became a crutch. It became some type of thing that backfired. I also began looking at my life and then looking at my fears. How many of you have ever dealt with fear before? Phobia, false evidence appearing real. I began to look back at my fear of flying. I was afraid of flying before I even really have memories. I just remember this out of the middle of my childhood, going to uh, Disney World in California with my family and being scared on a plane. You couldn't ask me any other memory from that time of my life. I don't remember anything other than that, but I remember being afraid. My dad even makes fun of me when he tells the memory, uh, there's a story that when we finally landed and we were in California, one of the hotels was one of those glass elevators, and it was going up, and I was going down onto my knees, and I started crying. He makes fun of me. Pray for me, okay? That's how my dad is. So he makes fun of it. And then I crawled out on my knees at the first time. It binged, and we weren't even at our floor. I was just like, get me out of here. How many have ever dealt with phobia before as a child? You don't even know where it came from. See, what was going on in my brain? What was triggering that? Something was happening that was beyond my control. I didn't choose to have a brain that was afraid of heights. I don't want you to raise your hands and ask, you know, and be, you know, if I asked you this, you don't need to raise your hands. But how many have been susceptible to anxiety, depression, these kinds of things? And you take it on as your personal identity. So I began to, to study The disorders of the brain, Dr. Jeffrey Schwartz, you are not your brain, and others have seen major breakthroughs as they begin to teach people, you're not your brain. They put them on a brain scan, and they manipulate them by giving them exposure therapy. And so they'll show them a plane taking off if they're afraid of the plane or put them in a room, uh, you know, in a video screen where they're going up in that elevator if they're afraid of heights. And as they are there, their brain is being scanned. They'll see all of these things light up. And, and then Jeffrey, Dr. Schwartz will say, isn't that what you're feeling? Now you're feeling the fear. You're feeling all of this. But then he'll say, now what I want you to do is I want you to look at a picture of your wife. Look at a picture of your child. Look at something that is dear to your heart. And instantly, the brain starts to feel senses of peace and affection. Have you ever heard about people in the military, especially back in the day, keeping those pictures with them? And then what happens is all that was producing the anxiety begins to dismiss and go away. And the feelings of love and emotion begin to come. And then they begin to see that the triggers are being triggered because of what they've experienced. But they can make a decision to focus on something other than the trigger. In other words, they may not be able to choose the trigger, but they can choose what to do after the trigger. And then they began to see that this not only works with some of the things that we would say are smaller disorders, like a person who can function normally in life, but just has a fear of flying or just a fear of spiders. They not only found that it worked in things that were um, not so evasive to their life, but they began to see to the highest level of people struggling with agoraphobia can't even leave their house, that if they began to recognize they are not their brain and how they respond to brain trauma, 
triggers is going to make a difference. They began to do cognitive therapy, and now we're seeing the best of deliverance for these people by doing the simple exercise of what the Bible said in Romans chapter 12, renewing your mind and your thoughts. Can I hear an amen? And then I began to realize this is exactly what I believe the Bible is speaking about. You see, your sins were not something that you might have chosen. I get it. Most men here did not choose to be attracted to almost every woman they look at. That wasn't something that a man chose. That came naturally to his body and to his hormones. If you just think about how men are made and how women are made, you can also just understand how their temptations are going to be different. In general terms, of course, men can impregnate a woman every minute of the day and keep going. Women can only carry one pregnancy at a time. Is it any wonder that a man that has the physical capability to impregnate every person on the, every woman on the planet, talking about all the sperm count that's in every man's body, that they have that capability? Is it any wonder that that's their capability and that's their temptation to impregnate everybody they see? Some men pretended not to say amen. The men that are saying amen, thank you. Thank you for being real and honest. Because when I became a Christian, my flesh did not stop producing enough sperm to impregnate the entire female population. But I now have a decision to what I do with that trigger. I'm still triggered like every man on this planet is triggered. But I now have to make a choice. And it goes the same thing with the idea. Once again, speaking in general terms, the woman desiring the security of a man. Is it any wonder that women will continually be, continually be lured into adulterous relationships because a man for 15 minutes will give her a sense of security? Talk to wives who have committed adulterous affairs. Even that morning, if you could go back in time, are you going to cheat on your husband and put your entire family at risk right now because that customer will stand at your desk for 15 minutes today? Are you going to do it? They would say, H-E double hockey sticks, no. I ain't going to do that. But 15 minutes of emotional security can cause a woman who has not been getting that or is continually longing for that to throw off everything and follow a new man with a new club to a new cave. We're still in the flesh, even in the 21st century. Are you listening to me? Look at everybody vaping to habits and addictions like that, to the habits and addictions we have now from our social media, looking for the gratification, scrolling through these things, never being satisfied, not able to be in quietness, mindfulness, not able to be alone for the most part. We are all troubled in our brains and we don't know a way out. And yet the Bible said way back then, 2,000 years ago, before there were ever brain scans, before we understood triggers, mental illness, before we understood the power of addiction and habit trying to fill voids, the Bible says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's your way out. What other things have worked is elementary Yes, cognitive therapy works. Yes, uh, certain mindfulness techniques work. And these can be practiced by Christian and non-Christian alike. But that's just wading in the baby side of the pool. 
That's just a mile wide and an inch deep. You want true freedom from all that ails you, even the things that you might think are okay. You need to get the spirit because the spirit will go down into the depths of your soul and set you free from every nasty thing the flesh has deceived you with, even the things you don't know you have been deceived by. How many know when you got saved, you started getting convicted over things that you never were convicted over? Because you had made it such a normal part of your life, you didn't even know it was wrong for you spiritually. That's why when I went into these studies, I'm saying not only, uh, you know, is the Bible applicable to the people with the disorder, I'm looking at the doctor going, doctor, you need another doctor and his name is Dr. Jesus. Let me know when you're ready to get set free. You think I'm claiming? The number one book on the anxiety disorder, it was actually called the textbook of anxiety disorder, went himself into agoraphobia, couldn't leave his house for years. Had to rewrite the textbook on anxiety to then include a whole lot of other things he didn't understand because he just got bamboozled by his own anxiety. And yet I'm standing here free from anxiety. I'm standing here free from depression, and all of those things have come at me. I have the answer. His name is Jesus. The textbook has already been written. Start right here and watch what it will do. Now, I say that in all grace and humility. I don't want you just leaving your doctor, psychiatrist, and psychologist flippantly because, like I said, they could be offering you something at an elementary level that is good for you, okay? Pills and things that help your serotonin are good for you right now if you're not doing well at just the cognitive therapy. These can be helpful. But everybody who has seen long-term success understands that it has to be through the choice of the person to begin to experience different lifestyles changes and different thoughts to know they're not their brain and the mind is greater than the brain. And anybody who studies then the lifestyle of people as a general population, Christians have the best sex lives. Christians have the best mental lives and Christians build the best societies. (laughs) Thus says medical journals. Medical journals have interviewed Christians And time and time again, those who are practicing Christianity have a different sense of well-being than the normal world outside of their tests. Christianity not only gives you the fundamentals of life, take care of yourself. Don't hold on to bitterness and things, the things Oprah Winfrey tells you, right? Not only does Christianity tap on those things, that physical exercise is good and quietness and mindfulness is good, but it goes to the place of inner transformation and sanctification with the hopes of glorification. Are you listening? The Christian faith will do for you more than what Dr. Phil could ever do. And yet... And yet, everybody get this here. I've preached already a good message. And yet, most Christians aren't living different than the world. I said all of that, which is true. Literally, neuroscientists, listen to Closer to the Truth, a neuroscientist interviewing other neuroscientists. He'll tell you, Christians, you seem to have it more worked out than anybody else The things in your scriptures clearly talk about the kinds of things we have discovered. And yet, if you were to ask that same man, but do you see Christians as a whole in this culture living different lives? I could almost guess his response. He would say no. Christians have just as many affairs as their counterparts. 
Christians have just as many issues with their mental health in life. They don't practice what they preach. Christians have just as many addictions in their lives. Christians live with just as much dissatisfaction with their weight, their job, their looks. They're just as insecure as their neighbor. And yet here we have the solution from the very beginning. And I dare to say that this culture is waiting for the proof in the pudding. I dare to say that if you and I started living like what that verse just said, by the Spirit and putting to deeds the death, the deeds of the flesh, I even think RuPaul and Oprah would get jealous. I even think Miley Cyrus would get jealous. I even think your boss would, 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 would take to attention to hear what's going on in your life. Because they know they're broke, busted, and disgusted. That's why they go to their counselors. It's become trendy for them. They admit that they don't feel secure about themselves. That's why they have Botox three times a year. They've already admitted they can't do marriage, right? That's why after their third divorce, they're just living with each other. They know money doesn't make them happy. That's why they try to boast about it on, on, on Instagram so that your like will now make them happy because it's not good enough for them to have it by themselves. They know this. The other religions even know this. As a part of my studies, I also study other religions and their transformation. How a Muslim is happy now more that they're a Muslim. How the Hindu is happier now that they're a Hindu. I study their conversions and how they have their own transformations. Once again, the elementary things draw them in. The Islamic faith draws them in through consistent prayer lifestyle change and devotion, a controlling system. Hinduism brings them in for having an idea that whatever they do will come back to them, an idea of karma, and they start to watch their diet more, etc., etc., do more exercises and yoga and these things. And yet when you track with these people over time, they begin to hit the bottom of that barrel. They're still heading down a, 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 a bottomless pit, but they felt they found a floor called this religion. And then all they do is scrape at it a little bit and see it's paper thin. And then they continue their descent even further. That's why Christianity, by statistics, converts more people from the world religions than we give up to the world religions. We grow on conversion more than any other faith on this planet. Why? Because the Hindu is convinced of Christ's resurrection, not merely because of the historical facts, but because the resurrected Christ has done for them what Krishna and all of their other sages couldn't. Muslims are coming to Christ right now in some of the most dangerous areas of the world because Christ, is, it's not because they went to a Bible college, a cemetery, or a seminary. I mean, it's because while they are praying, they meet the risen Lord. Iran is seeing one of the greatest Muslim revivals right now. And it's one of the most dangerous places to be a Christian, as well as Pakistan and other places. Indonesia. Why is it Christianity transforms so many people's lives from religious backgrounds to atheist agnostic? Why do we have the power of conversion on our side? It's because we have something they don't have. We have Jesus. And Jesus said he would go to the Father and send the Spirit. We have the Spirit. And now we have what no one else can have. We have the way to live free from the flesh. You have freedom. Somebody say freedom. freedom. It's up to you now, Christian. Do you want to live in that anom anomaly, that contradiction as a carnal Christian? 
to have all of this right in front of you. The Christianity literally that is underground in China growing faster than probably anywhere else in the world, you have accessible to you right now. You have the Jesus who's having to invade the prayers at mosque to see imams saved to the point of death. You have this now. You don't have to wait for the 20th neuroscience to confirm Romans chapter 12, John chapter 3. You don't have to wait. You have it now. You have the knowledge now. You have the ability now. May we live up to, walk worthy of what we've been called to, saints. The church should look different. It should be different. Our families shouldn't be like everybody else's families. Our marriages should not be the same. Our mental lives should not be the same. Our habits and addictions should not be the same. We should be free from these things. Literally, as the Bible calls us, aliens in this world. Jose selling in lotes down the road is not the real alien. Are you listening to me? Jose's not the real alien. I am. Because I don't belong here. But I'm an ambassador for as long that I'm here. Some of you say that you're saved. Yeah, but your face don't show it. Your bank account doesn't show it. You're wasting money just like everybody else is. Your free time doesn't show it. You're wasting it on social media just like everybody else. You say you're saved, but your attitude doesn't show it. What are we saved from? We're saved from sin. We're saved from stinking thinking. We're saved from the anxieties of this world. Don't you remember your Jesus saying to you, do not worry. And yet how many of us here worry? And yet our Jesus said, do not worry. He said, if you forget the lesson, go outside and look at a bird. Can't find too many now. Maybe a pigeon. Go out there to an indoor zoo. If we have one here, and go find a bird that's chilling. You and I are not supposed to worry, and yet we do. You and I are not supposed to have sex outside of marriage, yet we do. We live so far beneath what Paul said. He said, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You know what the Spirit does? That all of these religions, even within Christianity, the attempts of monasticism and asceticism, do you know what Christianity, true Christianity offers that none of them offer? is a personal advocate and helper to be like wind in each of your sails to guide you on the path of peace. Pray five times a day and say this, how do I know that works for me? Well, fast during this month. Maybe I'm supposed to fast during this month. No, no, we fast at this month. Do you see the religious rules don't put wind in your sail? But if you follow the Spirit... The Spirit can say to you, pray today at 5 in the morning. It can say to you, pray tonight at 1 in the morning. It can say to you, start every day at 7 in the morning on the bus praying. See, it can say to you, do this, and for me to do that, and for you to do this. You see, the Spirit is walking each one of us in the steps of freedom as he so determined, utilizing all the truth that the Bible gives us. And that's why Christianity doesn't look like one mushed up color. 
It doesn't look like the rainbow smushed all into one dirty green looking light color. You know what I'm talking about? If you ever did watercolors, you're trying to do the rainbow and then you do it wrong and they all start bleeding in together and then it becomes that yucky brownish or dark green color. That's not the picture of Christianity. The body of Christ is a rainbow. You've got people over here fasting all the time. You've got people over here evangelizing all the time. You've got your morning prayer warriors. You've got your evening prayer warriors. You've got your businessmen luncheon prayer warriors. You've got others over here. They don't listen to anything unless it's worship. You've got others over here that can listen. I can be my, your hero baby, and they're still saved. You've got others over here. They can't eat anything except what the Jewish diet says. You've got over here people eating bacon every morning still losing weight on Atkins or you know, when those low-carb diets. And you get together and you got all of the harmonies. You got all of the notes of Christianity. But all of us have the same foundation. The same one strumming and playing our lives is the Spirit. And now we have to avoid what the flesh is. Because no one can say, well, as a Christian, I can do this in the flesh. Because we'll learn exactly what the flesh is for all of us and what to avoid. The flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. The spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Somebody say, make it plain. Here we go. Let's make it plain. What are the obvious things of the flesh? Verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality. Impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, and orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. How many know that is speaking towards the 21st century right now? And yet that was written 2,000 years ago. You want to know why? Because the flesh ain't changed. The flesh has not changed. All these people now dressing up as men, trying to be women, flesh ain't changed. They've had that before. People having orgies now, swingers and all that, they've had that before. People now fighting over different races and anger and wrath towards each other's culture, they've had that before. Humanity has been through this list ever since Adam and Eve sinned and wanted their own selfish ambition. It's been with us right from the beginning of, of our fall. And there it is. It's obvious. Paul didn't have to keep going on and on and on. The, the list is obvious. He could tag right there at the end the like because you would understand that anything is like envy, anything is like drunkenness, anything is like witchcraft, anything like discord. You want to know to throw it out too. He didn't have to name off every single possible vice because he wanted us to know this is what your flesh looks like when it has control over your life. Somebody say, but the fruit of the Spirit is much better. Come on, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See, against such things there is no law. Do you notice that? There's no law against this. You can have as much of this as you want. And everybody on the entire planet agrees this is what they want. They may define it in its actions differently. They may define homosexuality as love, but remember, they want love nonetheless. A gang may define it differently, but what do they want in that gang? They want there to be love. They want there to be a faithfulness, right? 
Everybody in the world wants these things. Even the Nazis. Do you think people in the Nazis wanted to keep fighting on and on and on? No, they wanted to fight for a time and then have peace. Do you think they thought they were doing what was evil or they thought they were doing what was good? Most of them thought they were doing what was good. You see, humanity has always gone after these things. But sadly, when they're not led by the Spirit, their flesh will deceive them to what these things look like. So we're not angry at the world because they have a different definition of these things or have changed the, the true path of these things. We're compassionate towards them. We should be, feel sorry for them. The way I look, like, look at it is they're going down eating what the dog just dropped, and they're calling that the steak. Are you listening? They're, they're in the dog doo-doo. The Bible literally says that sinners eat their own vomit like dogs eat their own vomit. The Bible says they're like pigs who you've taken out and cleaned up, and they go right back into the mire. And how many of us have been some dog pig-like sinners before? That was a quiet amen in this Presbyterian church. I thought we were Pentecostals. I thought we liked to shout amen. I always tell people, they say, what kind of church you go to? I go to the one that shouts and claps and makes you feel nervous. Amen. But you'll feel Jesus here. How many of us have been some wicked sinners before? Like dogs eating vomit, like pigs in the mire. And so we all know what it's like to be deceived. And so the Bible says we have to see the truth now. And not be so easily deceived. Against such things there is no law. Verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, notice this, have crucified, past tense, that's a past action, have crucified the flesh with its what? Passions and desires. (laughs) Those passions. I'm angry. I don't want to be angry. Don't talk me out of it. You deserve my anger. I'm passionate about the horoscope. It tells me who who I'm going to see or marry in my life. I'm a Virgo. I'm a this. I'm a scorpion. What's your sign? Right? That's the flesh. Oh, did you see what so-and-so wore? Do you see what so-and-so has? We're so jealous. I just acted out because that's what it sounds like. It slips into your thinking so easily. It sounds just like you. Just like your dream feels just like you, doesn't it? But those nightmares freak you out. Why would you do that to yourself? Don't you know better? Nightmares are scary. And I thought nightmares went away when you got older. How many adults have had nightmares? Nightmares don't go away. Because whatever scares you now, that brain knows, and it will bring out at that time. I've had nightmares woke me up, cold sweats, as if I was three years old. Hold me, baby. I just had a nightmare. I'm telling you, nightmares are real because it releases there those chemicals of fear in your brain. You're sitting in your bed. You're as safe as could be. You're snug as a bug in a rug. There you are, just snug. Oh, but in that dream, oh, the Chinese armies, they've invaded. I've tried to hide my family, but they're hunting me down. Can I tell on my dreams right now? Oh, and I got my weapons out, but I'm running out of ammunition. I see them coming for me. They're coming for me. Ah! Wake up. Am I still here? Am I still here? Is everybody okay? I've actually had night terrors before. I ran out of my house thinking my house was on fire before. I'm serious. I lived in the hood. I lived on Clark Street in New Orleans, y'all. 
I ran out of my house, saw the drug dealer, said, call the police. They said, what's going on, Pastor? Man, what's going on? Man, call the police, man. My house is on fire. All right, man, we'll call the police. We'll call the police. Call the fire department, whatever. They come out there. Woo! They come out there. We're all walking over there. No fire. No smoke. I could just see them walking away. Man, something wrong with Pastor, man. Something wrong with him. Man, he been up in here too long. Did you sell him something? No, man. He must have bought it from over here. You know what I found out it was? I went to bed with a candle burning. And something about smoke in my dream as maybe it went out. I don't know what it was. Seeing a flame made me think my whole house was on fire. Night terrors. Nightmares. Dreams are just just I, they're just proof to us that our brain can deceive us so much. And yet the fruit of the Spirit is, is what we're all longing for, is what we all want. Now look at what it says. The Christian, those in Christ who belong to Christ, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, now ending the same way it started this passage. So since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Because that's not of the Spirit. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, that was the introduction. That was just the review. Now you all ready for the message? All right, let's go to the new stuff. You already knew that before. I have here in the King James all the deeds of the flesh because the NIV misses a few. The King James has a little bit more. Let's go now through this list. And I'm half teasing. It's not going to take me that long. I think you'll get it now as we go through each one of these. Adultery is a deed of the flesh. A married person having sex with someone other than their spouse. Fornication. Having sex outside a heterosexual marriage. So why is homosexuality wrong? Because it's fornication. It's sex outside of heterosex marriage. Jesus said he made them male and female so that the man would leave his family and cleave and that the two would no longer be two but one. How many of you remember Jesus saying that? So when he said, and the like, because sometimes people say, look, in the deeds of the flesh, it doesn't say two men can't have sex together. See, ha ha, I got you, Christian. Yeah, also in the deeds of the flesh, it didn't say you couldn't have sex with an animal either. So is that on the table now? I'm not comparing them, I'm not comparing them in the same kind of uh, debauchery or the level of disgusting in nature it is. I understand animal sex is worse than homosexual sex. But what I'm trying to say is, did Paul tell you in this list, I'm writing out every single vice in the human history? Or did he say he's given you a general obvious list and everything else that's like it? So you're supposed to understand, why don't I commit fornication with an animal? Why don't I commit fornication with the same sex? Why don't I commit fornication with myself? It's because I'm made to have sex in heterosexual marriage. Uncleanness is any kind of sexual activity outside of heterosexual marriage. So it's not just the sex that is wrong, it's also the kissing. It's also the, the different kinds of things that I'll keep PG in this place, okay? The bad kinds of things you do outside of sex, lasciviousness, living for sinful pleasure. Just stay right there so we can see one through four, please. Notice in the King James, which I accept as a more accurate version when we get to technicalities, notice that the first four are all related to sexuality. Is it any wonder that he starts with sexual sins and he gives them the most numbers? The next one's going to be divisiveness and, and fighting and division. 
But isn't it something that he kind of went all around the different directions you could go here to make sure he tightened this in? Adultery, so marriage is sacred. You can't do that. Fornication, it's meant for heterosexuals in marriage. If you do it within heterosexual uh, couples, but they're not married, it's wrong. If you do it in homosexual couples, whatever, it's wrong because it's not marriage. It's heterosexual marriage. Outside of that, all sex is evil uncleanness, anything that's not just sex, but it's perverse and it's like sex, don't do that. Lasciviousness, living for whatever you find pleasurable when it comes to sexual things. And you could definitely put pornography and things like that there. Let's keep going, please. Idolatry, worshiping or praying to anyone other than God. Witchcraft, did you know that the word for witchcraft in the Greek is this word right here, pharmakeia. What does that word in the Greek sound like in our English language? Pharmacy. The times that they came from, witchcraft was done with spells and drugs. Most people don't understand that unless the drug is helping you to recover from some kind of an injury, the dulling of the pain was meant to open your mind to the spiritual world. See, if I'm just hurt right now and you're giving me morphine or something, I know that I need that to get over this pain. But if I'm right now not in any pain and you start giving me drugs, it's going to instantly start affecting my mind. When my wife had her ankle broken, they gave her the strongest of drugs. Guess when it started messing with her mind? The more her body healed. The more her body healed, the less pain she had, the more high she began to feel. Am I not telling the truth? To the point where it began to bother her. She said, I don't like this feeling anymore. But she had been taking it just fine before. Because that numbing was meant to be for the physical pain, not the numbing of the brain and its thought processes. Are you listening? That's why it's connected to witchcraft. Because you uh, people do that. And now, once again, it's made popular with guys like Joe Rogan who want to do peyote and have spiritual experiences and mescaline. This is not, this has always been this way. It comes in and out of style, but it's always been this way. Now look at these, as I said, that now compare to the number of what we had with perversion. Hatred, variance, emulations, wrath. The next one, please. Strife, seditions, heresies. Now they outnumber the perversions, but they didn't come first. But this is the meat of this message Going up so I can see them all there, please. Starting with hatred, to be angry and to be unforgiving. Why doesn't it talk about racism here? Because the Bible doesn't recognize multiple races. We're one race, the human race. But what is what people call racism? What it is is hatred. That's what it is, and you'll go to hell for it. Do you understand? So repent of it in Jesus' name if you've ever dealt with it. Variance, contentious arguments, emulations, Zeal for that which is evil. Like you're emulating that which is evil. Going after bad things. Wrath, outbursts of anger, harsh treatment of people. Strife. Now we get into seditions and heresies. These are false beliefs about Jesus and the Bible. These things also come from the flesh. As dealing with cults after all of these years, you'll always notice what draws them into these false beliefs. Whether it's like the black Hebrew Israelites, the Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, it's always, well, I didn't know about this, but then I found this, and now I got to tell everybody about this, and ooh, did you see this? All of it seems to be like secret knowledge that they had to discover, and it's so enticing to their flesh because because they now know something that you don't know. Most of the times, what is considered new and what is considered trendy or, uh, you know, uh, enlightening is just a devil's lie being repackaged. As we just studied, 
the Jewish people of Paul's day tried to tell them you had to keep Jewish diet, you had to keep Jewish festivals, you had to be circumcised. And that's some of the most popular cults today telling you to keep Jewish diets and Jewish um, circumcision. Can I hear an amen? The devil keep trying to put us back into bondage. Let's keep going. Verse uh, number 14, envies, wishing to have what someone else has, murders, taking an innocent person's life. How many know that goes to um, abortion as well? drunkenness, revelry, which will be a part of when we go to Mardi Gras, not indulging in it, but preaching in the midst of it, and then such that are like this. So now, is there any confusion of what the deeds of the flesh are? No. And once again, these triggers may come at us in different ways. You may have an envy trigger. I don't know where it comes from in your flesh. It could be your upbringing. Maybe you didn't grow up with a lot. So whenever you see somebody with something more than you, it's just a trigger for envy. But it is your flesh. Do not give in to it. Some of you might be like me. You struggle with murder, anger, and all these other things, right? I have, I've had to watch myself, you know. Um, when I was five years old, as I told you, a girl took my toy and I punched her in the face. Why? Because that was natural to me. I thank God I never killed anybody. How many are thanking God today you didn't kill somebody? Anybody else here like me? <laughs> Let's just keep it real. Murder is a temptation to some people up in this house, amen? And I thank God I haven't killed nobody. Because murder sounds good when somebody's messing with you. I, I didn't used to run with the toughest of the gangs, but I was around enough of them, men, where sometimes I wanted to murder somebody. I wanted to kill somebody. I carried a gun. Somebody tried to murder me, pulled a gun on me. I almost died because of murder. I know you're looking at me like, this white suburban boy had that happening. You'll be surprised what you can find in the cornfields out there in Indiana. <laughs> it's crazy out there, too, y'all. The flesh is the flesh. Hello. Uh, I'm thank, I thank God I wasn't murdered, nor did I murder. But I'll tell you what, I hated a lot of people. I thank God that I stopped slapping people. <laughs> Amen. How many here ever used to slap people? I used to slap people, man. I remember one time I was slapping this one guy, and another guy stopped me. And I'm like, don't stop me. I want to slap this guy. I'll be honest with you. I had got one day. I'll just tell you the kind of sinner I was. This is not to boast. This is just to show you what sinners do. I had robbed a place. I had bought brand new Nike shoes, and I went to my friend's house. And one of my friends wanted to just be silly. He was a friend. Somebody say he was a friend. He was a friend. And he said, what are you going to do if I step on your shoe? If I step on your shoe? I said, you don't want to know what I'm going to do. He stepped on my shoe. I cocked him right in the face. Bow. He fell back. Then my friend kicks me out of his house. That was my day as a sinner. That was my day as a sinner. I mean, you're like, Joe, are you crazy? I, I probably was. But that's what my flesh felt like. And then did I always win every fight? You know, no, I got, I got hit in the face. I got spit on. I got jumped. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, once again, I'm not even saying I'm living out the, the, the craziest of lives. I'm just thankful I don't slap people anymore. How about being drunk? Anybody ever here ever been drunk before? The first time I got drunk, I was a teenager in my friend's house. That's why, parents, you got to watch where your kids go. God, hi. Anybody ever did drugs before? Come on. I'm glad I don't need drugs anymore. I'm glad I don't get drunk anymore. All of us can look at the different times in our life and see where the flesh brought us in. Jealousy, all of those things. Selfish ambition. They're tempting. They're real. They don't leave because you're a Christian. But you have the choice to consider these crucified with Christ so we can get up in the next section. I'm ready for the fruit of the Spirit. Here they are. I got this out of one of my study Bibles, so I put it on the notes here for you. Each one of these things are also in the nature of God. 
love, sacrificial, unmerited deeds to help a needy person. How many know God has done that for us? Joy and inner happiness, not dependent on outward circumstances. Sometimes people get angry at the word happy. Don't be happy because happy comes from happenstance. I have joy. It's okay to be happy, but I know what they're trying to say. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Okay, you haven't met those weirdies yet. They talk to me. Don't just be happy because happy has to do with happenstance. I have joy. But listen, it, I get what they're saying, but I'm happy and joyful. And joy is not based on your happenstance. Peace, harmony in all relationships, forbearance or patience, putting up with others. How many have some patience today? Even when one is severely tried, kindness, doing thoughtful deeds for others, goodness, showing generosity to others, faithfulness, trustworthiness, and reliability, gentleness, meekness, humility, like our Savior, self-control, victory over sinful desires, and if you notice right here in the, in the study Bible, they didn't have anything for self-control for God because obviously God doesn't have sinful desires. But I thank God he had self-control because he almost destroyed the entire place of Israel and kept Moses. You all remember that? He almost destroyed all of Israelites. And you, know, and you know what? He almost did that a few different times throughout the Bible. So he's had self-control even over his own power. How many are glad Jesus didn't send legions of angels and just destroy the entire world at the time of his crucifixion? So we see all of these in the attributes of God. And then when you go through the scriptures, you see all of these commands. That's where I was teasing. That was just the introduction because now we're going to go through each one of them, right, each one. But in sincerity, you and I are to desire these. I thank God today I know what love is, not lust, not sinful pleasure. When I look at my wife, I sense love for her that I've never felt for anyone else. Do you know what I do oftentimes? This may work for you. I just want to encourage you with it as Vinny comes, as, I'm getting, as I get tempted with the flesh, is I do what the Bible says to do. I look at it from the end at the beginning. Someone say, aharit. Aharit. That means to know the end from the beginning in Hebrew. It's in Proverbs. There's a great message by Dr. Michael Brown. I'll, ta I'll, I'll put it up today on my Facebook page. You can uh, listen to it. The aharit, knowing the end from the beginning. So I get tempted with lust. Maybe I'm at the mall somewhere, and there's something that captures my eye. The trigger goes off. I could do this, this, and this. Okay, I could think of this, this, and this happening right now. Okay? What I have noticed in my Christianity, what works for me, is that at that moment, I look at the end of that. So let's say I just stopped getting whatever I was going. I was going there to get my new Skechers, right? I got I to cop some new Skechers, y'all, okay? So I'm there copping some Skechers, and I see this woman that captures my attention. For another dude, it might be a man. Hello? Guys struggle with homosexuality. And I get this temptation, but mine's for a woman, and I get a thought. I could do this, this, and that. Now, just at that moment, I play it through my mind, okay? I don't get my Skechers. I go over there and I bust the move. It's weird. It's awkward. Somehow this fantasy actually comes true. She goes for me right here. I build a relationship. Maybe it's fast or slow. Who knows how long it takes to knock boots, but it happens. Now I'm living a double life. For me personally, I'm a pastor. So now I have just cost my career, my wife and kids. And I start to think to myself, okay, after the first fantasy, it's happened. Does she love me like my wife loves me? Does she know me over the last 15 years and every tear I've cried and every struggle I've gone through? 
Does she even care? Maybe she just does this for fun. She's never known marriage or love or nor doesn't even know about God. Now I'm waking up in a bed of somebody that just had a one-night stand. But for me, I just sacrificed my entire marriage, life, and reputation. Now somebody say, back that thing up. Boop, boop, boop. The iharit, all in my mind within the same moment. No, man, I choose love. Honey, I'm coming home. I don't know how it's going to work for you. That was an extreme example, but that's what I begin to do. Jealousy. Okay, this church got a new building. Man, y'all got a new building. Oh, it's a big building. Oh, and you got it for this much. Oh, man, that's so amazing. Jealousy starts to come in my heart. Man, they don't deserve it. Look at what you do. See, jealousy begins to rise in pastor's hearts all the time. Oh, man, they don't deserve it like you. You know what? Go look at their Facebook and see if you can find something to hate on. Oh, man, look at them. They don't, they don't have this. They don't have, man, they, they're not right. They're backslidden. I eat all in one moment. Back that thing up. No, I don't want that. Hey, you know what? I'm happy for you guys. You know what? My God blessed you again. He's a good God. Isn't our God a good father? Because your father's my father. My father took care of you. Amen. I'm just going to go back over here to this storefront. I'm going to go back over here. And I'm going to be here until he takes care of me with the building like yours because I know he's not going to forget about me. I'm a king's kid. Go through these situations in your life. Do you think most people count on murdering? murdering Pre-meditated murder is actually pretty rare. People murder out of anger in the moment in spite all the time. Self-murder, suicide is often done in the moment. Even though they're fixated on it, it's something that will take them right over the edge. What you need to do is walk through this entire thing. Is me jumping out my car, pistol whipping this person in traffic right now worth it? You better aharit that moment. Bring that right back. Boop, boop. Back that thing up and just say, look, just go ahead and have your moment. Yell at me, flick me off, have your moment. You got me, you win. And just go home tonight and see your family. Go home tonight and go play video games. Go read your Bible, amen? You're, you're, you're not going to jail tonight. How many people started fights with those they didn't know? And then those that they started a fight with put them in the hospital or killed them. You hear about that all the time. Well, I'm going to fight this person and this person. And then one day you meet somebody that knocks you out, you hit your head on a curb, and you're dead. People have been knocked out and been killed from bar fights. You might be looking at right now being a single young lady or a single man. And you're like, you know, a little sex don't hurt. You know, I come to church now. I know Jesus loves me. I can be forgiven. But my boyfriend is calling me up or I want to call my girlfriend. You know, things going on. What's a little sex, you know, going to do? It ain't going to hurt nobody because there ain't nothing wrong with a little bit of bump and grind. There ain't nothing wrong. You're just singing that song in your head, going on Tinder, whatever this, these apps are, hooking up. Oh, there ain't nothing wrong. Now, of course, I could tell you the pregnancy, the STD things to scare you, but just, just, just having loose sex like that, you know what it does? Tears apart your insides, your emotional life. Everybody knows this. That's why monogamous relationships are the most healthy. Because when you start having sex with others, as, as some people have said, it's like taking water, mixing it with Coke, and then when you leave, now saying, take out the water and put back the Coke. You can't do it. You've become so intertwined. Uh, intertwined. Yeah, it was just a little bit of sex, but your souls, your emotions, your life, your bodies became intertwined, and it left residue. It messed with you. 
One of the first friends that I had that committed suicide was the most playboy guy that I knew. I was telling my daughters about it the other day. This guy looked like he had everything together, had multiple girls all the time, and yet he committed suicide. I'm not saying it was the only reason, but having lots of sexual partners or loose sex messes with your self-worth and your identity. Back it up. Boop, boop. Go right back and say, no, you know what? I've got self-control. It may be hard, but God's given me self-control. I'm going to wait till I'm married. I'm going to wait till I can enjoy this and have it as a fruit of the Spirit. Because how many know there's nothing wrong with making love as long as it's with your wife? So there ain't nothing wrong with a little bit of bump and grind as long as you're married. Ain't nothing wrong. You see, that, that makes all the difference. But, you're, you see, but if you're falling for your flesh, your flesh will destroy you kindness. Think about it. Come on. I know for me, the Bible says, you know, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. But what does the flesh want? To come in hot. Let me tell you what I think. Oh, you want to go there? I'm going to go there right now. And you trust me, you don't want none of this. You do not, as you're, as you're going there, you're telling them, you don't want none of this. And guess who that hurts the most? Hurts you. It's true. Everything you're doing to others in society out of anger and frustration, that's you. I've noticed it even in my own life. Got mad at the post office. You know, it's a bad day. I go to the post office. I'm mad there. And then I'm mad in traffic. And then I come home. I'm mad with my wife. It's not the post office. It's not the traffic. It's not the way. It's me. I'm carrying around anger. I'm letting my flesh do it. So what do we need to do? Back that up. Is this worth me losing my peace over? Is this worth me losing my kindness and gentleness over? If you begin to be honest with yourself, I believe this will work for you as well. The iHeartEat, seeing what it looks like. And then that last slide that I have for everybody here as we get ready to close out. This is how I see the fruit of the Spirit. I made this. I've seen them before, but I just felt led to make it myself. It was really relaxing. It, like, it was really cool. Does anybody here color? Does anybody do stuff like that? Sometimes my wife is just coloring. It's just relaxing. And this is what I did. I took nine different pastel colored circles representing the nine fruit of the Spirit, and I just layered them all on top of each other so that right here in the middle, you get all nine. I just think that's beautiful. It just does something for me because that's what it's like living for Christ. You're living in all the fullness of what God has, and it's beautiful. I was doing a, a staff devotion the other day on how the priests were clothed and all of the things the Old Testament priests had to wear. And you know what God said to them? I had never read this before, but he said, I want you to dress like this for beauty and for glory. Man, it just hit me so hard. This is what it looks like on you for beauty and glory. You look good with the fruit of the Spirit. I'm telling you, there's nothing like what you look like when you got the fruit of the Spirit. Love looks good on you. Peace looks good on you. Patience looks good on you. Kindness looks good on you. Forbearance, gentleness, self-control. It looks good on you. I just want us today to be clothed with Christ in the beauty of his personality. And in life, we may have to get upset, but do it in gentleness. 
restrain your anger, even in anger. You may have to be forthright with people, but do it in kindness, wishing that if you were in that same position, someone would do that for you. Let us clothe ourselves with the fruit of the Spirit. Let us give off to this world an aroma that is so different than the golem of the flesh, the nastiness of the flesh. I started Ubering again. Uh, it's more lift because I go snowboarding. I'm a crazy white boy. This is what white boys do for fun. On my day off, I drive, listen to this, an hour and 15 minutes to Wisconsin to go snowboard and then drive an hour and 15 minutes back. How many know that's crazy? But now watch. I thought to myself, I could just lift, man, and get all my gas paid for. So I just, bloop, bloop, bloop. I signed up. I got lift, right? And so now I just put there, I'm heading to Alpine Valley. Who's going anywhere in Wisconsin around that area? I'll pick you up and take you somewhere. I have a camera on, by the way, for all you to know that I'm going to live the right life, so I want to be accountable. I don't want anything going on funny business. Are you guys listening to me? So I have a camera. It not only protects me, it protects my integrity, and it helps you feel peace that your pastor may have to pick up young ladies, as which I did this one, one day last week. We're just talking, just hanging out. She doesn't know me from anybody. Doesn't know me from anybody. You know what she says? You are the nicest Uber I have ever been in. Nicest lift. She said, you're the nicest. I said, well, that's good because I'm a pastor. I'm glad it, you know, it's good. You know, it works. And she said, oh, man, that's so cool. And we began to talk. And I went back and I told my wife with almost tears in my eyes and said, man, kindness is real. This woman, I don't know how many Ubers she takes, but she said, uh, lifts, she said, you're the nicest one I've ever met, ever. That's the kind of testimonies I want. I know some of you are like, man, Joe, you're not so nice. What did you do? I don't know. She said some of these guys are creeps and all that. So I said, man, I'm married. I love Jesus. I'm a pastor. That's what I do. But here's what I, here's this to tie it in today. Kindness looked good on me in that, in, that, in that ride. I want you guys in this church to have testimonies this week. Man, you're the gentlest big dude I've ever met at the gym before, Jason. Man, why are you so gentle, man? You know, I want people to say that about you, man. You're the most patient person I know, Brian. How do you have so much patience? Cynthia, you are the most kindest person I have ever met. Why not? I think the world will recognize real. You see, when the world hears us only talking about don't do the flesh, don't do this, don't do that, they just think all we are is a bunch of judgmental people. But when we start showing them the beauty of the fruit, they can't help but be attracted to it. Amen? Let's give it up for Jesus. If you're going to have the fruit of the Spirit, come on, stand up. Thank you for your patience today. Second service, you guys always get a little bit extra. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? Fruit of the Spirit versus deeds of the flesh. I'm choosing the fruit of the Spirit today. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that each one of us here will choose the Spirit. In an attitude of prayer, would you look at your own life right now? Do you have the Spirit? If you've not been born again, today can be your day. Simply ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Say, I believe he died on the cross for me. Repent of your sins and be born again by the Spirit right now. If you're already born of the Spirit right now, pray for two or three people that you know that don't have Christ yet as Savior. As we pray with those right now who are going to get born again and start this relationship off with Jesus. Intercede for some of your friends and family. Those of you who are praying to accept Christ into your heart, 
Do you want to go back to the flesh after you leave here? If you don't, ask the Spirit to fill you right now. Not only have your sins forgiven, but have your nature changed. Jesus changed my heart from the inside out. In a few moments, you can start coming up here if you want to have someone pray with you to start this new life. But I want us to right now where we're at to keep praying. Maybe you're here today and you're a backslider. You're a carnal Christian. You claim Christ, but you live by your flesh. Right now, if that's you, can you start to pray and ask God to set you free from it? To help you overcome your temptations? Everybody here can overcome every temptation. Right now, what's your temptation? What's your flavor of sin? How is the flesh coming at you? Right now, ask God to show you the harit, the final end of that sin, and give you the beauty of the Spirit. Right now, I pray for every backslider, every carnal Christian. In a few moments, we'll dismiss, but right now, take this time serious because God will do what you and I could never do in all of our natural ability. It's only the Spirit that can bring this kind of transformation. A few more moments right now. God, do it in us and through us. In us and through us right now. Look at your life, saints. Come on. Are there any sins that keep coming to you as habits, ways of thinking, triggers? The Bible doesn't promise us freedom from temptation. As long as we're in this earth, in this body, we'll always have it. But it, it promises us that we'll be delivered from the temptation that comes. So, I, so we're not to say, man, it doesn't work because I was tempted. No, the Bible says you will continue to have temptation even as a Christian. Why? Because you still have a body. You still have flesh. You still have a brain that's made out of the, the organ, you know, the materials that our organs are made out of. Until that turns back to dust and you get a resurrected spiritual body, you will be tempted. You, there is no way out of that. But the next few moments as you pray, you can ask God to deliver you from every temptation in every evil way that comes at you. You may be tempted, but you don't have to get into it. Evil may be enticing to you, but you don't have to do it. A few more moments right now. Any backsliders, any carnal Christians, be free right now in Jesus' name. Right now, right now, be free. I pray for each person here to know who they are in Christ, to be filled with the Spirit, to live a crucified life. There's no going back. No going back. Right now, I'm going to follow Jesus. Des, would you begin to sing that as we get ready to dismiss? I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Right now, step with the Spirit. Move with the Spirit. Today, whatever you're facing, the Spirit's got a way out. Some of you might be tempted with adultery. Let Jesus move you out of it right now. Some of you might be tempted with bad habits, drunkenness, the like, vaping. Let Jesus set you free right now. Anger, bitterness, unforgiveness. Let the Spirit move you out of it. No turning back, I have decided. Come on, let's sing it out. I have decided. I'm following the Spirit. I'm not going to follow the flesh anymore. Get behind me, Satan. I rebuke the devil who tempts through the pleasures of your flesh right now in Jesus' name. Do it with me. If you're being tempted, make sure you rebuke the devil. Tell him he has no place in your life. No turning. Get behind me, 
Satan, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. One more time, I have decided. I'm following Jesus in my thought life, in my sex life, in my finances, in my career, in my life with my friends and relationships. I have decided to follow. No turning back. No, 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 I'm not turning back. Come on, somebody say no turning back. My family says, Woo! I'm not turning back. Before we dismiss, I know, Des, your testimony is similar to mine. You would go to church, feel convicted, say, I'm never doing that again, and then you would turn right back, right? I've been baptized three times. It took to my third time till I said, I'm never turning back. What was it for you that said, look, it doesn't matter what my friends say, you know, it doesn't matter what my culture says, I'm only going forward with Jesus. When was that, that moment for you? 2013. Come on. 2013, I was, I remember I was in my living room, and uh, I was just sitting on the couch, and I was thinking to myself, like, I'm so over everything that I've done. Like, I've tried so many things that, you know, in my, in my mind, I'm like, I've done everything that grown people have done. I've done all this stuff. I try to do things right. I try to find love. Nothing is working out for me. All I keep doing is finding myself going deeper into sin, things that I thought I would never do in a million years. I was becoming the person that I told myself I never wanted to be. So at this point in my life, like, I, I hated myself. I hated what I, I've become. And I knew of a God. I knew Jesus because I would go to this church, leave, go to the church, leave, go to the church, leave. And at this point, this church is like, yeah. Whenever I step foot, they would all, I, they would speak about me. Like, there was people there that they have told, you know, don't even interact with her because she's just going to steer you in the wrong direction. So at this point in my life, at 20, uh, 2013, I was sitting on the couch and I told God, I said, you know what, I'm done. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I need you. I need you like I've never needed you before. And this time, I mean it. I said, I'm done. I don't want to be that old Des anymore. And I'm going to stand up and I'm going to fight the fight because I don't want to be who I was before. I know that girl. I don't want to be that girl. Come I want to be who you want me to be. So I went to that church. Let me tell you, I went to that church and I knew that I knew everybody was looking at me and everybody was talking about me. But I walked to the altar. I went to the altar and I said, Jesus, I want you. I don't care about you, 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 you. I want you. No turning back. Hey. No turning back. Woo. Come on. No turning back. Come on, if you mean it today, say no turning. No turning back. We're not turning back. Amen. Were you a church kid? Did you were you brought up in the church? Did you backslide? Talk about it, man. What brought you back? 17 to 25. Can you put them up a little bit, brothers? Thank you. Between 17 and 25, I backslid. I was literally going to church. 
That's right. Yeah, one more time. No turning back. Come on, would you sing it out, saints? No turning back. No, 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 no turning back. No, no turning back. Come on. I, one more testimony. Augustine, would you come up here real quick? Come on, let's give it up for Augustine as he comes. I remember this brother when we were both skinny, when we were both little skinny minis. We've added a little bit extra poundage, not to put you on the spot, but I remember you from what, 15 years old? Uh, since, let's just 20, 2006. 2006. Yeah, you were what, a freshman, sophomore? What were you? A junior in high school. Okay, junior in high school. Coming to the church, playing in the worship band, but then I didn't see him anymore. What happened, brother? And then what brought you back? I got involved with a girl that uh, really was a bad influence in my life. And I had a long-term relationship with her. And after five years, I felt so convicted. I had a dream of being tossed in hell with her. And that really spooked me so bad. So I, told God, I asked God, um, what should I do to get out of this? And he said, just come to church and I'll do the rest. And sure enough, when I went to church, God rocked my heart. I told, I told her, look, I gave my life to Christ. This is what I'm going to be now. And she said, you know what? That is so unattractive. I'm going to dump you. So <laughs> that's fine. Glory to God. I'm here today because, you know, so yeah, it was worth it. It was you worth it. dedicated your second baby. Come on. Come on. Though none go with me, though none go with me. Come on, you gotta say goodbye to some ex-girlfriends, ex-boyfriends. You gotta say goodbye to some folks. Hey. 